Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Luke, if you're visiting here, and it's my privilege to share a message with you this morning as we're in week four out of five weeks. It's the penultimate week of our Becoming Emotionally Mature series. Um, we've been tracking along with a book by, written by uh, a name by the a guy by the name, a, a, a name by the guy, uh, a name, a guy with the name of Pete Scazzaro wrote a, wrote a book called Becoming uh, or Emotionally Mature Spirituality. If, if you can and you're able to buy that book for yourself and to read it, I cannot recommend it highly enough. We've been tracking along with so many of the spiritual insights that he's pulled out there. It's just been amazing. But the basic premise of the series is this, that spiritual maturity must translate into emotional maturity. It has to. If we're genuinely growing in Christ-likeness, it's going to influence and affect how we respond to our emotional lives as well. The Bible doesn't just teach how to get us into heaven. I hope you know that. But the Bible talks about how to live on earth now. It's not just about life after death, but life before death too. And so in this series, we're practically seeking God to help us to live as human beings on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me, let me start by asking you a question that, you, please don't answer out loud if you're here with us today. Um, but, but what score out of 10 would you give yourself for your emotional maturity? Now, you're not allowed to score your spouse. You have to score yourself, right? What score? There's no elbowing happening here. What score would you give yourself out of 10 for your emotional maturity? Take a second and pick a number. Today we're exploring the idea of um, embracing limits, right? I wonder how many of us feel like you've just got too much going on in life, like life is too busy. We're running from one task or one appointment or one meeting to the next one, constantly stretched between all of these things. And I don't just mean at work, right? Because, I mean, work life is busy, I get it. But it's not just work. It's all the layers of life that we live like this, don't we? It's got to do with our family, it's got to do with hobbies, it's got to do with our social lives, our extended family, even our rest and our leisure gets busy and stretching, isn't it? It's like we desire to do all the cool stuff that all the other people seem to be doing all the time. And how many of us end up living with an overwhelming sense of being overwhelmed, like you're stretched all the time? Can I tell you the sad truth is this, that if, if... that nothing will get in the way of your maturity like living like this will. And if you more like Christ, we need to think seriously about how we live as Christ followers. Never before have I been so convinced that our world has kind of lost its way about just how to live and how to be human. And that the teachings of Christ and the ways of living in the scriptures are so gloriously relevant that we as churches can embrace the way that Christ lived and the scriptures call us to live, we will be able to be shining lights as communities who live in an altogether different kind of way. Today, I want to speak about embracing God's limits, embracing God's limits, uh, not, not begrudging them, not putting up them, not... Not resisting them, not fighting them, but learning to see God's uh, limitations on your life as gifts. In fact, uh, as ways of finding your appropriate place in the world as well. Set my stopwatch here. Exactly how long. So I'm not going to count those first three minutes that we've already done. Okay, those are just freebies. Um, all right. Um, okay, and we're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. It's not a traditional sermon in the sense I like to preach. 
incredible and embodied something so Christ-like that I just feel I, we need this in this moment. John was an incredible dude. Fact of John, Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, verse, uh, Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Right? Uh, and so we can learn so much from this guy. I, I'm hoping that as we look at John, what we're going to see in him is an incredible self-awareness. This guy had a real clarity around God's call for his life, a real, a real clarity around what his contribution was to make to the mission of God in his lifetime in the world. But, but even more amazingly, he had clarity and awareness about what wasn't his to do. And what wasn't his to be. And it's this profound sense of clarity of call as well as the limitations to that that John had that enabled him to live so well. And I think is so necessary for our lives today. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you open it up to John chapter 1. And while you're getting your Bible, why don't you get a piece of paper and a pen ready as well. At the end of this message, I want to read through a few questions. I'd love for you to be able to write down one or two answers to those questions. If you don't have a pen or a paper, perfectly fine. Use your device as well. You can Put on airplane mode, unless you're watching, and then I, then I don't know. But, but, um, uh, but uh, yeah, you can open up a note and take some notes in there. But uh, we're, just know, we're going to be heading towards a landing where you're going to get a chance to prayerfully reflect on some answers to some questions, and we're going to put this into practice in our lives. Case study of John the baptizer. John, we're going to read from John 1 and from John 3. Let's jump in. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John, tell me, who are you, dude? He confessed. And he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They said to him, well then, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who, what, what do you have to say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. And then we get to see him now in verse 29, how he actually lives this out. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. Remember, he's the one, the voice in the wilderness crying out. That's the guy, right? Uh, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who's rank, who ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 35, the next, day, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, these were two of John's disciples. Sorry, let me just, that's perfectly fine. These were two of John's, these guys followed John. And then John said, no, no, that's the guy over there. And they left John and they went to follow Jesus. They became Jesus' disciples. John chapter 3, reading from verse 22. And after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he, and he remained there with them and Jesus was baptizing now, right? Now, John, John the Baptist, I mean, that's his name, right? He's John the Baptist. John the Baptizer, right? Now, John baptized. Now, Jesus arrives across the river and he starts baptizing too. John was also baptizing uh, in the Anon uh, near the Salim because the water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been put in prison. And now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples uh, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, 
He who was with you across the Jordan, whom, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. What started to happen is the queue's getting shorter and shorter outside of John's baptism stall, and the queue's getting longer and longer out of Jesus' baptism stall, and someone has the audacity to come and ask John how he feels about that. Verse 27, and John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, as we just we look at the life of someone who lived in proximity to you, Jesus, someone who lived in ways in which you commended him, there's, there's no one greater than, than him. God, as we just, as we, we come before you and we ask you, God, teach us how to live. We thank you that you give us eternal life, but you also give us life in this present moment. And you, you, your word has wisdom with regards to how we should live here and now in this moment. Pray, God, you would open our eyes to see. Teach us, God. Speak personally to each of us. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As I said, I'm not preaching as I traditionally would, as much as I really just, I've seen something in the way John the Baptist has lived that I think is so relevant to us right now as people. And so I want to just learn about this. And the the question I'm asking of this is, what can we learn about limits in life from John? Imagine day by day what it was like to be John as the line outside of his baptism stall is getting shorter and shorter and the line outside Jesus is getting longer and longer. And all of those people who were queuing for John are now queuing for Jesus. And yet, John is able to celebrate that because John knew his role. He knew what was his and he knew what wasn't, what wasn't his. He knew his role and he knew where his role ended too. And right now he read his moment that his role was to decrease. He embraced that limitation and understood his calling and that freed him up to live with a measure of peace and contentment in life. I want to unpack this a little bit. You see, all human beings are created in the image of God. What that means is all of us are equal before God, equal um, also in terms of worth and dignity and value because we're in the image of God. But here's the thing. Not all human beings are equal when it comes to talent and gifting and capacity. I mean, think about it for a second. I know we know this, but we don't like to believe this. We struggle to accept this reality. Um, Growing up, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a participation prize. You didn't get a trophy just for arriving, right? And then everybody gets a trophy. That's not hard work when I was growing up. That's a new thing, right? Uh, My son Jack, Jack is uh, in grade one. and, And in the first week of grade one, he comes home with an award. I was so proud. Um, he comes home with the Gentleman of the Week Award, certificate and everything. I mean, it's amazing, right? And I've had two kids go through the same grade in the same school. This is the first time I've even seen, I didn't even know that award, award existed. So finally, on the third kid, we feel a bit like we're starting to get something right, right? And uh, I'm in slow progress, but we're in the game now. And, uh, but then, like, after winning this award, week one, hey, man, a month goes by. That's four more weeks. Jack. You didn't bring home the award. I mean, it's a weekly award. It's given out. It didn't happen. Week Eventually, like 12 weeks in, I'm starting to fish now. And so, my boy, who, who won the award this week? Uh, 
and, and then he said this. He said, oh, no, Dad, um, it's only this person and this person who haven't had a chance to win the award yet. <laughs> and then I started to discover what was really going on, right? And it's all, it's all fine and good when you're little, but then you walk out into life and in the big bad world, right? And we quickly discover that our world is not like everybody gets surprised just for showing up. Our world is merit-based in the world in which we live. And, uh, and it doesn't work like that anymore. That in our world, uh, not everyone is equal in gifting and capacity. And even the Bible teaches this. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says, We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's a grace on my life, there's a grace on your life, that these graces are not equal. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. There's a faith on you and there's a faith on me, and these things are not all the same. And think about the parable of the talents that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man who's going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two And to another he gave one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. One of them got one. One of them got two. Another one got five. Some of you, some of you are five bag people. Most of us are one or two bag people. And that's okay if that's God's grace on your life. But what if you're a two bag person and you spend all your time looking at the Instagram accounts of five bag people? What does that do to your life? What does that do to your cadence in life? Your busyness in life? What does that do at the level of your soul? Doesn't social media just pour rocket fuel on this fire? We start to compare our lives to the small percentage of people who are super successful. Mind you, we compare our lives to the small percentage or small part of their life that they are successful in too, right? And then... We join the party because we also, through social media and through these different ways we market ourselves to the world, we only show the highlights packages of our own lives, right? No one wakes up and shares a selfie of their wake-up morning face or their morning breath. I don't know how you even share a selfie of your morning breath, but I I noticed how quickly for myself, I stopped sharing my Strava updates when I had a calf injury, and I was like hobbling through my runs. I I wasn't so keen to share that information online, right? I only share it when I'm really at my best. And so what happens is there's this perception that this is where the bar is, right? But actually all of us are living down here and it creates this comparison within us. I think the truth is most of us have got unrealistic expectations about how our lives are going to turn out too. None of us want to be donkeys. We all want to be the unicorn, right? We all want to be unicorns and we all expect that we're going to retire well, that we're going to have near perfect children. We're going to have amazing jobs with amazing spouses and the best hobbies because that's what we should all be able to live. We're all going to be unicorns, right? And then we start to compare again with others and over time you become disappointed with your life. You become disappointed with your job and you become disappointed with your house or your car or your friends living in Australia and your holidays and your this and your this. And eventually you start to think, man, my life is just not good enough. You connect those dots a little further and you start to feel, I am not good enough. And instead of feeling a sense of gratitude about your life and about your calling and about your role, you start to feel a sense of entitlement and even maybe jealousy and envy at others. And I want to say today, the system is broken. 
that we are defining success wrongly. We measure our success today by progress. And progress, by definition, is bigger and better and faster and more. And as long as you're getting bigger and better and more, then you feel like you're doing well. As long as the numbers are kind of going up, then you feel great and you deem your efforts to be successful and you deem maybe even yourself to be worthy. But if the numbers are going down, we start to feel despondent and we consider ourselves a failure. Pete Scazzaro in his book, he says this, progress in success, according to this very narrow definition, has become the basis for whether we view ourselves, our lives, our days, our weeks, our years, our lives as success or failure. But do we ever stop and ask ourselves, what is success in the eyes of God? Success, according to scripture, is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way, according to his timetable. Success, according to God, is becoming the person God calls you to become, and doing what calls you to do in his way, according to his timetable. Let's look again at John's life, and let's see what we learn from John. John showed us three things, and we'll go through the first two quite quickly, and the third one we'll camp on a little bit. The first one is this, settle your identity in Christ. John the baptizer had settled his identity in Christ. He said, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Are you the Messiah? they said would have been so tempting well you know I mean I can see how you can make that mistake but uh, that's not John no 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 are you the Messiah no no I'm not the Messiah you see I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals Oh, 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 if you're not Messiah, you must be Elijah the prophet. I mean, when you sum up the Old Testament, they speak of Moses and Elijah, right? These were the two big guns. Elijah, Elijah didn't even die. He went to be with God. And so they thought, are you Elijah? Come back. They asked Jesus the same question as we read in Mark's gospel as well. Are you Elijah? He says, no, 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 guys, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Capital P. No, I'm not. Well, then who are you? I mean, all of these things would have been nice, wouldn't they? But they weren't true of John. They would have been tempting to say yes, would have been tempting to aspire to. I mean, imagine the accolades. Imagine the the way in which people would have esteemed him. But he just says, no, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm John. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. That's who I am. I understand who Christ is, and I understand who I am in relationship to him, and this is my role, and this is who I'm going to be, and I'm okay. I baptize with water, he says, but the Messiah is coming, and I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Settle your identity in Christ. I wonder how much energy we spend in our lives trying to be something or someone that we're not. John, John just knew, no, no, that, that's, I'm not him, I'm not him, I'm, but this is who I am, and I'm secure in being who I'm meant to be and playing my role. The second thing we see of John is, and I'm going to put it into proactive steps for us, is clarify your calling. Clarify your calling. John was clear not only of who he was, but he was clear on what he was supposed to do. He was clear on his calling. I am the voice in the wilderness preparing the way. And you yourselves bear witness to me, verse 28, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John knew, I'm sent before Jesus. I'm the herald. I'm here to prepare the way. John knew that his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his calling. That's what he was here to do. 
Each of us has got a calling to in Christ. Every one of us is sent into our city as Christ followers with a mission from God. Do you, do you know, do you, do you have clarity on why you, why this city, why now? John knew. He had clarity. He had clarity not just about who he is and who he isn't, but he had clarity about what he was meant to do. And I think the same should be true for you and I as Christ followers. In the absence of clarity around that, you become vulnerable to all sorts of pursuits and temptations and and, and moves and drifts and all sorts of things. But when you know who you are, point number one, when you know what you're meant to do, point number two, you can live out a sense of clarity and purpose here today, which includes your job. But it's so much broader than just your job. It's your role in life, in family, in community. It's, it's this is my little pot in life, and my role is to steward this thing well according to Christ. And probably the most striking thing about John the Baptist is his complete freedom from performance and impressing other people. Are you? Are you no, I'm not. Are you, are you, well, maybe, maybe if you're not here, maybe... No, no, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm meant to be. That's not what I'm meant to do. It's just, this is, this is my role, and I'm happy to play that. John had a clear sense, not just about who he is, but what he was meant to do. And amazingly, and this is the maturity thing, what he wasn't to do and who he wasn't in life as well. The third point, and this is where I want to camp a little bit today, Embrace God's gift of limitations. Embrace God's gift of limitations. This is what John models to us so well, and I think it's what missing, what's missing in so much of our, in our immaturity, in all honesty. John says this, A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. He must increase. I must decrease now. John understood that there are limitations on our call and limitations on our lives. And and this is so important in our cultural moment because we live in a culture at the moment that says you can be anything, you can do anything, the sky is the limit, right? And this is really, really dangerous. It's a dangerous idea because it's just not true. I mean, parents, I mean, I want us to build confidence into our kids, absolutely, this notion that you can be anything you want, do anything you want. I think it's a, it's a dream born out of privilege and entitlement, and it's just not true. I was never going to be a Springbok rugby player. I learned that, I mean, very quickly, but by the time I was 18 and a mate of mine went to Craven Week Rugby, not me, uh, he came back, and, he, and, and the same position I played was played by Skulk Burger. Young guys, uh, you might not know who Skulk Berger is. Now he, even he stands on the side of the field, right? But, uh, but Skulk Berger was in my hair. And, and he said of Skulk Berger that his hand was so big, when he handed you off, his hand went over your whole face and your head. I was, it just wasn't going to be possible for me, right? There was someone else who was bigger and better and faster and stronger. We all need to learn our place in life. We need to learn to see both our capacity and our limitations as a sign of God's calling on our lives. Our limitations are indicators and clues to God's calling. When it comes to limitations, most of us don't receive them. 
We kick against them. We fight against them. We deny them. We try to push against them. And don't get me wrong. There are some limitations in life that we need to break through. We don't just accept all of them. But certainly there are more limitations in my life that I need to learn to see as a gift from God. Uh, I remember this series we watched a few years ago called Limitless. Right? It was the story of this dude and he just, they could give him this pill, right? And how many of us dream we could take this pull, right? And you could just, you could take, and his brain starts to fire, and he can work out the answer to all of these things, and he can do anything that he wants to do, right? This is just not our human existence. We need to see our limitations, receive them from God, and secondly, we need to see them as a gift from God, not think of them as a curse, and resent all the things that we're not able to do. Rather, to, to, when we do this, it robs us of peace and it robs us of contentment. How often do you thank God for the limitations on your life? In becoming emotionally mature, we need to see our limitations as gifts from God, not as enemies to go to war with, but as friends to lead us and guide us into our identity centered on Christ and our calling in the world. Maturity in life is when we can live within our God-given limits. When we fail to do that, we severely compromise our ability to love God, even to love ourselves and to love others over the long haul. And I think it comes down, essentially, it's a theological thing. It's a theological and it's a worldview. How you choose to respond to your limits goes right back to your relationship with God. Remember earlier in the year we worked through Genesis origin series. And we saw that temptation that came to Adam and Eve. Uh, God had said to them, you may eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden. Any tree except that one tree, right? There was a limitation. Any tree you want in the garden, just this one tree. And the devil came along and he said to Adam and Eve, he says, For God knows that if you eat from this tree, you will be like him. Now, first and foremost, that is a temptation to, to not trust God. It's a tempt, temptation to a lack of faith in the goodness of God. I think, secondly, it's a temptation to pride, to be like God. But, but, but woven in there, too, is, is the devil is playing at limitations and how, how we think about God with regards to our limitations. The evil one made limits the target of his strategy there. He wanted Adam and Eve as human beings to see limitations as an indicator of God's stinginess on their lives, not his love. And Adam and Eve became convinced that God might be holding out on them and holding back from them. The temptation here was you will be like God. To be a human being means you are created in the image of God. We're meant to grow in likeness to God, but we're not like God. We're not God uh, in that God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent, right? Yet if you look at our lives in this modern generation, we're exactly trying to do that. We're trying to be omniscient, all-knowing. We, we, we troll how many hours on social media and news networks, getting all the news so that we never miss out on anything. All the information is carried in our beings. I mean, it's exhausting. We try and do everything. We live with FOMO, always scared we're going to miss out on something. Omnipotent. We, we, we're frantically trying to be God. Omniscient, omnipresent, everywhere, all at once, never missing out on anything. The honest truth is that living beyond our limits, we think we're gaining more life, but actually what we're doing is we're squeezing the quality out of our lives because we're stretched too far and it's exhausting and we're failing. 
To be a Christ follower is to be secure in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and that has secured my my identity and your identity. And it saves me from having to do all these things in order to justify my existence. I can rest in Christ and embrace these limitations. Okay, Luke, but how? How? How do we practically do this? And I want to be real honest with you, as this word's been alive and at work in my heart, the biggest wrestle that I have as I look at this, for me personally, is this idea of I need to rethink progress in life. And I've got a long way to go. This notion that life needs to keep getting better. My phone needs to keep upgrading to a better phone. My, the, the car that I drive now has to be better than the last car that I drove then. And my car tomorrow better than the one that I've got now. My house needs to keep getting nicer. My job needs to get better. Year by year, this notion that life should be doing this, right? Everything should be growing. Ministry should be flourishing, etc., etc., etc. It's this. It's worshiping at the idol of progress progress. And I think we're so conditioned in our, in our modern world to live, for this, to live for this idol, that the idea that life must always be better and faster and nicer. And our souls begin to find contentment in our progress rather than in Christ and his grace for our lives. And we start to live and worship at that idol rather than live and worship before Christ and enjoying his portion for our lives. That's just where I'm really struggling. For some of us, we need to learn the art of saying the right yeses and the right noes to other things. And, and this is very practical. Keeping the Sabbath set aside for God. It's a way of drawing a line in the sand saying, I, I'm limited. I'm not God. I can't just go seven days a week, 24-7. I, I switch off at this time. I switch on at this time. I rest. This day is set aside for worshiping and for resting. And, and in faith, I'm depending on God. We're grappling with this as a life group, how to put this into place in our lives. We're, we're talking about setting aside time in my week to be with God, which means I need to limit my calendar means I need to not stay up at a certain time so that I can wake up at a certain time in the morning to be able to do this. It's saying yes to some things and saying no to other things. It's saying yes in my week to silence and solitude and simplicity in order to create space to engage with God more. But that means in those same times, I'm not productive maybe, or not in the sense of work production. I'm saying no to other things. But what you're doing is what you're engaging with God and you're creating an opportunity for God to step in and work in those times as well. And what we're going to see is we're, we'll see as our engagement with God goes up, so we'll see that God works more on our behalf as well. It's an act of faith in all of these things. I wonder, we're going to get to some practical questions I'll ask you. Get ready for this. What steps do you need to take in your life to embrace God's limitations on your life? Ultimately, I think we need to land by looking at Jesus. Christ, our Savior, is also Christ, our example for how to live. 
And even Jesus had limitations on his life, and he chose to live within the confines of these limitations. God in Jesus, for a moment in history, became a human being. He became a man like you and me. He became flesh and blood, just like you and me. Not Clark Kent hiding under a facade. You know what I mean? On the outside, I look like everybody else, but on the inside, really, I'm Superman. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus embraced limitations. He he had limited knowledge. He often had to ask questions, and and he had to learn how to trust God where he didn't know. He was no longer omnipotent. He got got tired. Jesus Jesus needed sleep. He needed rest. He needed to wash. He he, he embraced limitations, just like you and me. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. And this was before cell phones and social media and all of these ways we can connect with anyone wherever they are in the world. Jesus became fixed and and limited in his humanness on earth. He embraced these limitations. And here's the thing. He trusted God with the gap. He trusted God and he was at peace and content with what was outside of the limits and scope of who he was. Isn't this the heart of it? For so many of us, our root issue is we struggle with not being in control and not being able to engineer the outcome we so desire and so long for. And yet, Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was meant to be. He knew what wasn't his to do. He knew what he couldn't do. And he trusted God. Isn't the cross and the resurrection the ultimate picture of that? Faith in God to do what only he can do, and yet he lived with peace within the confines of his limitations. All that to say, you need to settle your identity in Jesus. You need to clarify your calling. Who are you? Why are you here, sent into this city in this moment? What has God got for you to do? And lastly, what are the limitations that God has placed in your life? And is Christ enough for you within those limitations. I want to lead us in some prayerful reflection as we land here. So take a second, forget about the people around you right now. I'm going to ask us a few questions as we land in prayer here. Let's close our eyes and then let's do some business with Jesus. Jesus, as we just stop and we reflect on how our culture is urging us to live, the frantic, overwhelmed, stretched pace, saying yes to everything all the time, always on, never off. We feel like we're never just present even in a moment because we're navigating another one too. Yet God, we want to say as your followers today, you are enough and we can trust you with the gaps and that the limitations that you have brought to our lives We want to trust that you are sufficient for us, Jesus. And so just as you sit in this place of prayer, let me just go through a few questions. What are your limitations? What are your limitations? Maybe the limitations of being married. Maybe the limitations of being single. Certain things you can do, certain things you can't do. limitations of stage of life. You're you're young. You're trying to find your place in the world. You're trying to set yourself up for a future. 
Maybe you're caring for elderly parents. It's a limitation in your life. Can you embrace Christ in that and find his will for you in that season? Maybe your children or your child is going through something difficult. It could be a, a disability that they carry, maybe a sickness they're facing, and that's a limitation on your life. And rather than fix that and all the things you can't do, God's, God's got you in that moment to be, represent him in that place. Maybe it's a limitation in your work life. Where are you living out Christ in the midst of the limitations on your life right now? What are the limits on your current season of life? What are the limits of your emotional, physical, intellectual capabilities right now? Do you need to read your season right now? Are there some things you you just need to say no to and trust that Christ is going to be sufficient in that gap? Are there some, let me check to some of the dudes here. Are there some hobbies that you're pursuing that is just placing unfair time out of your calling as a Christ follower, a husband, a father? And there's just some things that, you know, all your mates are doing and they look so good. You actually just need to shoot them because, not your mates, but the dreams. You're going to make peace. You might never have that six-pack, but you're going to be a great dad. That's okay. <laughs> you might not get to gym that early in the morning, but you're going to get time with God, and he's going to make you into a better man or woman. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not being prescriptive here. I'm just... What is your identity in Christ? Do you need to, do you need to spend some time just settling that stuff? If you're, new, if you're a new Christian, you need to settle that the rest of your life, that you can live out of the security of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what it means to be in Jesus, primarily as your core identity. And then you move on to things like calling. Do you know your calling? Why you in this city, in this moment, not just the city, in this community to which he sent you? land us in prayers we sing Jesus we just want to say we trust you Christ you really are enough for us the pressures the offer the offer of the world to do this and to be this and to run there and experience this and all of these temptations we're constantly living with. We just pray, Jesus, would you settle our identity? Oh, I wish it was that easy. Jesus, help us to settle our identity in you. Break the power of those temptations on our lives because we understand who we are in you and we understand our lot in life just like John the baptizer did. He understood, no, and that's not mine, that's not mine, but this is my role, this is my portion and I'm going to look after this and I don't need to compare it to anybody else because mine is a grace from God and he has given me a faith to fulfill this and therein I'm going to be at peace and that which is outside of that Christ, I trust you are enough for me.
think right now of, I pray a special grace on single parents, God, single dads, single moms in our church as well, as they grapple with the limitations of that. I pray, God, your grace to them, Lord Jesus. As we, as we understand limitations freshly, God. Jesus, may we be a people who are not living out of a sense of FOMO in life, but who are living out of a clear sense of calling, a clear sense of identity, and understanding the limitations, what is ours and what isn't ours. And within that healthy scope and maturity in life, God, I pray for maturity to flourish in our hearts. As a world looks on, a frantic, stretched, overwhelmed world looks on, may they see in us as a church a non-anxious presence representing you, Christ. We recognize there's work to be done in our hearts, God. Teach us, we pray.